In this podcast, Michael Canick talks about leading your organizations through purpose and focus in ruthless consistency. So stay tuned. So welcome everyone to Work to Dotto podcast. Today we have we have with us Michael Kanek. Uh, he's the author of Ruthless Consistency: How Committed Leaders Execute Strategy, Implement Change, and Build Organizations That Win. And the book came out on September first. And from what we discussed with Michael, uh, the book is doing great. So we'll we'll get get a chance to talk about this book today. So he's also the president of Making Strategy Happen, uh, a consultancy. which helps committed leaders turn ambition into strategy and strategy into reality previously he managed the consulting division of the atlanta consulting group and held a leadership role in fedex michael earned a phd in psychology of human performance from university of british columbia currently michael leads strategic change initiative in the corporate world and spent the past 25 um years consulting with ceos and top management teams across north america a former national championship winning coach michael is also a member of marshall goldsmith's global 100 coach project he lives between denver vancouver and has written over 400 posts for his blogs with that michael welcome to the podcast well great to be here vishal thank you So uh, fascinating uh, uh, bio, by the way. So why don't you walk us through your journey? Like, what brought you to this point? Well, originally I thought I would be a professor. Uh, I liked academia. Uh, studied, you know, psychology of human performance. Was just fascinated about the, you know, how psychology impacts how we perform. And it was based on sports performance early on because I played sports and played football, coached football. Was very interested in it. uh started looking for something more applied so i got into the outside world and found out that everything has to do with performance so very serendipitously you know it turned out that what i had studied was very applicable uh so that got me into the world of uh of, of performance spent uh, several years with fedex uh in a couple of roles ultimately overseeing service quality in a district and that really introduced me to the idea of how do you implement a major strategic change initiative what are the pitfalls what are the things that drive success what are the things that inhibit success so that was my first real experience with uh with strategic change got into the consulting world shortly thereafter as i had a colleague who was in it and was always talking about these very interesting projects he was working on got into consulting and that's when i discovered vishal that this is what i meant to do and uh love the consulting love helping companies you know turn ambition into strategy and strategy into reality and my psychology background the human performance background my coaching sports background was all wonderfully applicable to what i do now which of course is helping you know mid market companies uh you know execute on their strategic change strategic ambitions interesting and so walk us through um making strategy happen so what what what's that organization and what do you do through that great so making strategy ha- happen which is our company our our goal our purpose is really helping create organizations that are focused aligned disciplined so it's for leaders who are committed leaders who are really committed to growing their companies to achieving their strategic goals that's what we do we focus only on leaders who are committed and we spend time at the front end you know trying to determine what is that level of commitment 
because we have the biggest impact when we can partner with committed leaders. So the bulk of what we do is consulting work. I also do about 30 speaking engagements a year, uh, whether that's uh, large venue events, which of course we don't see as much of right now. Uh, I also do a number of smaller venue events for an organization called Vistage, which is mm -hmm. the world's largest organization of CEOs and senior executives. I've done many presentations, several hundred with them. And in Canada, uh, Tech Canada is uh, the equivalent organization. So I do a lot of talks for CEO and executive groups. So consulting and speaking. And then, as you said, I have also posted around 400 blogs. So we generate lots of content as well, all focused on making strategy happen. And, and where could users find those blogs? Like, which do you have a blog that you maintain somewhere? Absolutely. So on we those are all on so on our website, which is makingstrategyhappen.com, under the resources okay. section, you have access to blogs going back like nine years, uh, you know, uh, that all deal with, you know, developing the right focus, building the right team, creating the right environment. Interesting. And and by the way, uh, so uh, while I was reading about um, uh, your background, the fascinating thing was your journey. So you have you have a doctorate in performance management. Then you went into sports, um, uh, led led a team to national championship. Then you sort of um, come. As, you did your corporate juggernaut stuff as well, and now you're helping businesses with the strategic goal. What are some of the stark similarities or differences that you have encountered across these dis different, totally different roles that, that you have um, uh, worked on? It's a very good question. And the similarities in terms of success is that whether to be successful in business, in sports, in the, uh, you know, the corporate world, the consulting world, it really doesn't matter in any field. It all starts with having a real clear focus. What are we trying to achieve? Why is it critical? How are we going to achieve it? So it all starts with that focal point of, you know, a purpose, goals, expectations, the why, the what, the how. And without that, you can imagine that people's efforts are diffused in all sorts of directions. So that's really the starting point. The next commonality is you have to have the right team, you know, and while we can develop people, we want to develop people, we want to grow them, it's critical to get the people who have the right traits, skills, experience to be successful. And then the third commonality is as leaders, we have to create the right environment to help those people perform at their best, to make sure they're engaged. And those two key words have to go together, engagement and performance. We have to build cultures that promote both engagement and performance. And when we create an environment that supports that, then as an organization, we can win. Interesting. And and spend a few more time, few so a few more minutes on the team aspect of things. Right. So um, I think when, when when we talk about sports, it's it's basically it's not the individual star power, but also how they can gel together um, in, in 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 a cohesive team. Uh, uh, and similarly, the corporate juggernaut uh, is is no different there. So. Walk us through some of some of your best practices or or your thought leadership into how do you identify uh, uh, that mythical magical team that will help you win, say, uh, a national championship. Right, and team really is the key word. And as coaches, we always used to say the best players don't necessarily make the best team, but the best team usually wins. Mm. So it's critical. So as a leader, the first thing we have to do is emphasize team from the outset. 
And it's not just about individual performance, but it's about the team. The reason that's important is that sometimes we may have to sacrifice in our individual areas for the best of the team. For example, uh, a manager, a leader in one division may not get the budget that she or he wants because those funds are better allocated to another division. But if we're playing for the big team, then we recognize that to win, that makes sense. And when you play a team sport, you're used to sacrificing, you're used to playing your role for the benefit of the whole. So I think early on, it's very important that, that leaders uh, you know, emphasize that notion of team. Next, when you're selecting people into the organization, don't just look at can they do the job? Have they done the job? Mm. Look at how well do they fit? Will they fit with others? Because we've all seen situations, uh, Vishal, mm. where you have people who are great individual performers, very talented, very skilled, but either they can't get along with people, their egos are out of control, they're selfish, and it poisons the culture. So next, we have to make sure we're really selecting people who are team-oriented players. Mm. Finally, we have to make sure that when we're reinforcing and recognizing you know, the efforts that are made, we have to recognize everybody's contribution to the team. So even though you know, the salesperson perhaps landed a big sale, they couldn't have done that without, say, the procurement people getting the right partners for, you know, to make that bidder estimate. They couldn't have done it without the admin people putting together a first-rate looking report. So it's just very important that you recognize everybody's role in contributing to successes, and that contributes to, uh, to team as well. Interesting. And, and um, in your journey, like, what are some of, some of the um, common uh, misconceptions that, that you have heard or you have seen companies uh, sort of hanging on to when it comes to building a star power team. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, probably the biggest one I see is when leaders don't consider both performance and conduct. So let me give you an example. We have the performance of a, a salesperson, let's say, who is a top salesperson. They bring in a lot of revenue. So on performance, they're, they're top, right? 100, 100 out of 100. But when it comes to their conduct, maybe they bully people in the office. Maybe they mm -hmm. push them around. Maybe they're disrespectful, you know, trying to get their way. Well, they're very good on the performance side, very poor on the conduct side. Leaders sometimes will turn a blind eye to conduct and justify it based on their performance. In my world, those are both independent and there needs to be a minimum standard of each. So poor conduct is not excused by good performance any more than poor performance is excused by good conduct. You need both and they both need to be at least a minimal standard. That's probably the number one thing that undermines team that I see where leaders excuse poor conduct and rationalize it based on good performance. Interesting. Now, now let's let's uh, talk about the book, right? So Ruthless Consistency. Why write this book? Why write this book? Because failure abounds. <laughs> you know, companies in trying to implement strategic change and the statistics will say you know, 60 to 70% of strategic change initiatives continue to fail. 
an article in uh, Harvard Business Review, you know, looked back as far as the 1970s and found that in the last, you know, what, 40, 50 years, it's been pretty much the same. So failure abounds. The question that really captivated me was why? Why so much failure? Why do these things fail? We have good intentions. We have good ideas, but executing is the hard thing. When I started looking at, you know, and researching why do strategic change initiatives fail, at first I thought, well, maybe there's a silver bullet. If we do a good job of training people, they'll succeed. Or if we do a good job of communicating or of setting goals. What I discovered was that there is no single thing that reliably predicts success. What I discovered was that everything matters. Everything sends a message. The companies that are successful at executing make sure everything is pointed in the direction of winning. Their communications, their resource deployment, their training, their feedback, their guidance, their processes, their structure, everything points in the right direction. So I wrote Ruthless Consistency really to capture why do so many strategic change initiatives fail, what you need to do to succeed, and how you need to do it. So I provide a lot of tools and models and concepts and practices to help leaders apply the principles of ruthless consistency. Interesting. And and what are what are some of um, some of the findings um, that you surfaced when you were researching uh, for for writing the book? Right. So mixed messages is probably the number one thing I found that undermines strategic change. You know, it's when a leader you know trumpets excellence but they tolerate mediocrity. When they say we're going to shoot for the moon, but they don't provide the resources to get there. When they talk about how important customer service is, but then they make a decision that's just for the financials and undermines customer service. Mixed messages demotivate people. They confuse people. They kill leaders' credibility and they undermine strategic change. You know, the real core premise there is that it's the mixed messages that do us in. Interesting, and um, that, that that is fascinating. And what are some of uh, so when you, when you, when when we talk about ruthless consistency, like what are some of the misconception or 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 some of the shortcomings that you found that company has about their perception? Because everyone say they are consistent, right? So it's very right. hard to to tell someone, hey, no, you are like your action and your um, your your sort of scripts are not matching up. So walk us some of the misconceptions there. Sure. Probably the number one is that consistency means robotic repetition, doing the same things mechanically the same way all the time. That's what we mean by consistency. That's not what I mean by consistency. What I mean is a ruthless consistency of purpose, consistency of purpose, an unwavering commitment to purpose so that everything we do. And that might be innovative and creative and varied. All those things are consistent with our overriding intentions, with our overriding objectives. That would need, that's what needs to be consistent. So it doesn't mean doing the same things the same way all of the time. You may need to do this, you know, different things, different ways, all to serve that common purpose, all to be consistent with that purpose. So that's probably number one, what's meant by consistency. Number two, when I say ruthless, it's not meant to be cold-hearted or cruel or to, you know, uh, you know, look at people as no more than the objects of production. What I mean really is this unwavering commitment. So again, you're ruthless in your commitment. You're absolutely committed to unwavering in the commitment. And to execute on that requires that you engage the human spirit, not that you squash it. 
So ruthless consistency means, again, being absolutely aligned, relentlessly aligned with that purpose, making sure everything you do is consistent with it, as varied or creative or innovative as that might be. Interesting. And and um, I think, so now being consistent, right? So many, many times being consistent is uh, synonymized to having a strong culture. Okay, so this culture is not letting me f- like we are, I'm fixated with 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 the, with the rule book and I know how like it, it so it's a companies which are 100 200 years old they are in a way um, unnecessary evil that they are ruthlessly consistent because they have been in some capacity. So how do you differentiate your message from from that side of the world where it says okay it all it says is about maybe a thick cultural sort of uh, where there's not too much room for being innovative and it, I'm actually being very consistent because my company wants me to or pushes me to. So what, what do you say in that? Right. So in some cases with, you know, some products or services, there are elements of consistency, the specifics that are important. What's more important, though, is that we lease our assumptions, not own them. Meaning, even though we've done something very successful for many, many years, things may change. And you may may remember Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus was -hmm. around for what? I think it was 147 years before they went went out of business, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the fact is, you know, being consistent in specific practices can be very, you know, beneficial. But you always have to subject them to, you know, to questioning. Is this still relevant today? And if it is still relevant, then be consistent in those specific practices. But if something's changed, you may re- need to redefine what you do or how you do it. That's what you need to stay open to. Interesting. So if, if, if I wear my statistic, statistician's hat, right? So many times, um, so consistency, so I, all I hear about is like uh, a difference between accuracy and precision, right? So if I'm doing something more and more, I'm being precise, but that may not be accurate. Right. So if I'm being consistent, in, so if I'm and I, th- I think you rightly pointed out that it's not just that doing things again and again, it's just so how do you uh, so if I'm a leader and I'm saying, OK, see, I the messages I'm putting out, it's it's consistent, like I've been very ruthless and I am being consistent. Now what? And still my company is struggling. Right. So what are some of the some of the other indicators that you think that I need to be aware of when it comes to sort of my understanding of of leadership? Right. So you're you may be very consistent with the wrong focus. Hmm. So if your company is struggling, you could be very consistent doing the wrong things. Hmm. You could be very consistent offering the wrong products. You could be very uh, consistent applying the wrong services. So if you're struggling, even though you've created a consistent environment with what you're trying to achieve, it may simply be the wrong focus. So then I would go back and really get into the marketplace. What is going on in the marketplace? What are their needs? How is it evolving? And then how do our capabilities and assets best apply to the to the marketplace? Interesting. And say if, if I am someone, um, say I am worried about my organization and I don't know what to blame. I, I'm, I'm looking something to pin to and, and sort of uh, trying to chain myself. What's your litmus test uh, for leaders today that they say, okay, maybe it's the, it's, it's the consistency or it's the root that it's, it's the messaging that I'm pushing out or it's my weight. Like what are some of the, some of the tests that you, you suggest to leaders can take 
so they say there is something that needs to happen we'll resume after a short break this part of the podcast is brought to you by first friday fair fastest ai powered way to find your next opportunity check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job let's get back to the podcast it's a very good question and a very practical question so ruthless consistency is broken down into right focus right environment right team all driven by a leader's right commitment so i want to be able to assess each of those three areas focus environment and team and the way we look at the right focus is to ask you know how is that focus developed did it take into account three landscapes one being the market industry landscape one being what we call the macro landscape which includes social and technological and political and economic factors and then the internal landscape so i want to know if the focus was determined was developed really in consideration of those three landscapes if it wasn't then we need to do a better job of assessing those three landscapes to make sure we have the right focus but let's say we've done that and let's say it's relevant today and we are focusing on the right things here's where the market opportunity is here's where our capabilities are here's how we can win that may be good then i want to look at the right environment now you might ask well why don't you check to see if you have the right team first Hmm. The answer is you may not know whether you have the right team until you create the right environment. Because sometimes leaders will blame their people, but really the leaders haven't created the right environment for their people to thrive. So I like to go to the environment next and say, "Okay, have we hmm. created the environment in which everything is aligned with our focus?" And again, that's everything from, you know, our the purpose and goals and expectations to how we coach people, to how we equip them, to how we support them, how we value them. Are all those things aligned? And we provide we give leaders a questionnaire to basically self-assess. Mm. But here's what's key. We don't rely on the answers of that questionnaire. What we rely on is the answers of an equivalent questionnaire we give to their direct reports. Mm. So we get it from their perspective. what we typically find vishal is that leaders are somewhat misaligned with what their employees are thinking leaders think they've done a good job of providing something but their direct reports don't necessarily think so so that might be the source of the misalignment what leaders do is not as important as what their people experience then that questionnaire might highlight areas that are misaligned For example, you've given me the you've given me the skills to do a good job, but you haven't given me the authority to make decisions to apply them. Or you've pointed us in the direction, you've given us clear goals and expectations, but I don't have the resources to execute it. So by assessing the right environment, we can diagnose where are we misaligned, where are the gaps that we have to address. Then finally, if we have the right if we've developed the right focus we've created the right environment and we're still not getting the right results then it's the team then do we have the right team and the number one thing i would ask here is when you're looking for the right team members are you simply saying can they do the job have they done the job are you typically looking just for experience and skills which is very common mm. do they have experience have they done the job do they have the skills can they do the job However, more important than that than those are will they do the job? And to determine that, we have to assess their traits. We've all seen examples where people have lots of skills, good experience, but don't get it done because they may not have the right traits. 
which might be taking initiative. Maybe it's responding to adversity. Maybe it's functioning well as a team. Maybe it's being a self-starter. Whatever it is, I want to know their traits because often the right traits will help to overcome deficiencies in experience. So just a few examples there, but that's where we go to diagnose, you know, if we're not getting the results, have we developed the right focus? Have we created the right environment? And have we built the right team? Interesting. So um, I think I was thinking about one one interesting conversation I had with one with this this leader from uh, one of the retail giants. And he was he actually gave a very interesting perspective of leadership. He said, Vishal, so I was telling him, hey, why that that why uh, leaders are they don't act like coach and not really a manager. And he was telling me, Vishal, it's it, it's basically for for any leader or at least for people like if, if I look at my job role, it's a it's a shifting slider between being a being a coach vis-a-vis being a manager. Sometime I need to be a manager, sometime I need to be a coach, and I just have to slide and figure out when I need to be what. What is your take um, when it comes to a leader? How would they see an organization? So would they be more coach or more manager or what's the what's the right mix between the two? Right. Good question. And in my in my view, leaders need to be coaches, not just managers. And here's why. Coaches take responsibility for the performance of their people. Coaches ask, what do I need to do to help my people perform at their best? What do I need to do to get them engaged? What buttons do I need to push? What levers do I need to pull? Coaches take responsibility for the performance of their people. And here's the example I like to use. Imagine some sporting event, let's say a football game. And before the start of the game, the coach runs out onto the field with a team. They're getting ready for kickoff. And then the coach turns around and runs off the field. Mm. And then he comes back three hours later to critique the team's performance. Well, that wouldn't be very effective coaching, yet that's how many managers manage. Far better for coaches to be actively engaged, actively engaged, providing helpful feedback and guidance, providing reinforcement when things are done well, holding people constructively accountable if they're not done well. So I look at this as really being a coach, not a manager. And coaching, you know, encompasses, you know, part of what's managing, but you have to get things done through people. It's not about you as a leader, it's through you. So it's got to be done through people. So you've got to be a coach. And I think that mindset is very helpful in helping leaders think of what their responsibility is in helping people perform at their best. Interesting. And say, if I'm a leader and, and I've, I've been asked to lead an organization that is, in my playbook, doing everything wrong, right? So it's, it's basically down the tubes and it's very difficult. It, the management is not very agile when it comes to understanding and and they're again they are bound by their own sort of uh, their demons and their practices and their culture and i am now asked to manage and lead that organization what would you suggest to those leaders like how would how would my ruthless consistency help your uh, practice perform better right So it starts with the right focus. A new leader coming in wants to know, what is the focus of that organization? So what is the overarching purpose? What are the goals we need to achieve? And then how does that translate into individual expectations? So it really starts with that clarity around purpose. And if you don't have that, that's that's where you need to start. Now, if you have that, I want to know then, do people understand that purpose? 
So it's one thing for a leader to have it, but another thing for his or her people to have it. So I want to make sure I'm communicating that. I want to check in with them. Do they understand what we're trying to accomplish? Why? What purpose that's serving? What their role is? So I want to keep reinforcing that. Then I want to look to the right environment. And I want to ask, you know, have we equipped people to be successful? Do they have the knowledge, the skills, the resources, the authority? Do they believe they have it? Then, do they believe they're getting the feedback, the guidance, the reinforcement, and the accountability? Have we aligned our processes, our policies, our structure, our infrastructure to support them in, in getting the job done? And then, do I value them as individuals? And do they feel valued? And this is very important, Michelle, that we, as leaders, we let people know that we respect them, we trust them, and that we care about them as individuals. And when we do that, we're much more likely to get their engagement. So the right environment then is really what I want to focus on. Make sure all the arrows are pointed in the right direction. Everything is clear and unambiguous. This is what we're trying to achieve. So it starts with focus, but then environment. Then, of course, you'll know, do I have the right team? Interesting. Fascinating. And thank you for walking us through that. So um, now consistency itself is... Um, it's very converging in focus, right? So it, it basically, it means it's limiting, right? So how would you say balance the innovation and being disruptive and, and sort of being innovative part of the business when you say, okay, I sh we should be ruthless consistent. Like how do you balance the two? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Good. How do you reconcile? I'm happy you asked that because this is a question that often comes up. Think of it this way. If you're in a high-tech industry where things are changing very quickly, to be consistent with your overall purpose of thriving as a company, of being successful in the marketplace, you have to innovate. You have to be creative. Mm -hmm. So innovation is a necessary element that, you know, that, that contributes to your success. You have to consistently innovate. You have to consistently look at what are new you know, needs that we need to fill. What are new features or benefits we have to provide? So innovation you know, is something that needs to be done consistently in, in many industries. So that's, again, not counter to the idea of being consistent. That absolutely is what fuels that consistency of purpose. Because again, when I say ruthless consistency, it's a consistency of purpose. What are we trying to achieve? Are all of our actions and decisions aligned with that sense of purpose? Okay. And so um, now sort of deviation in purpose, right? So how would that, how would that, um, so if again, so I think last I was talking to one of the, one of the executives, um, his company went from say public trade company from $70 trading to $3. And then he was now, he was invited back to the company and trying to fix that company. And he was, he was talking about all the, all the undoing that he needs to, needs to done. Like he, he needs to do to, to bring the company back. And it was, so from your vantage point, if, if you see a shift, like how much shift is too much shift from, from your point of view, like how do you, um, uh, concile that okay I don't like we don't want to be keep on rolling this has to be some element of growth and consistency of, of that scale like what what would you say so if I understand your question the 
the reality is that people can only absorb so much change in so much time. So we have to be sensitive to that. And we see when we throw too much change at people too fast, they can't cope. And then you see dysfunctional reactions. So as leaders, we have to be monitoring how are people processing change? How are they coping with change? Now, having said that, there are times where businesses are faced with crises and they absolutely have to act dramatically, decisively and major change. And if there's one thing leaders can do to help to mitigate the effects of that, it's to over-communicate. Over-communicate during times of dramatic change. Over-communicate the what, the how, but most importantly, the why. Why do we have to change so much so quickly? Here's why. You know, here's why we're doing it. If we don't do this, Vishal, we're in big trouble, right? Mm -hmm. Here's what's going on in the marketplace. Here's what our customers saying. Now, here's what we're, our intentions are. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's what you can expect, Vishal. Here's how we're going to support you. So the more we can over-communicate in times of dramatic change, the more we can help people process it. But it's helpful for leaders to keep in mind that people do have limits, how much change they can process and how much time and do it you know, functionally and effectively. Interesting. And so if, if I'm a leader um, and, and basically asking my organization to do this purpose realignment or purpose alignment so we we actually start becoming consistent what are some of the some of the success indicators what are some of the key performance indicators or or what are some of the goal uh, that i need to be looking forward to when it comes to if i am doing it right or if i'm doing it wrong and the best form of indicator is getting with people to get their informal feedback and ask them you know what are you missing what's not working here what do you think are some of the problems with our implementation? How could we improve things? Too often, I think that leaders put pressure on themselves that they have to figure it out themselves because they're the leaders. In times of change, make sure you engage your people. Not only will that you know, overcome some of your blind spots and give you some practical insights as to what needs to be done, but the added benefit is it will engage them. They will feel now that they are part of the change. The change is being done with them, not to them. Interesting. And say, I think right now, if you look at organizations, most of us are looking um, looking through our own transformations, right? So most of this is whether it's like technology that we are relying on, whether it's socioeconomic condition, and right now something like COVID, right? So we are all massively transforming and we are in this territory of unknown where we don't know whether our vendors are okay, we don't know whether our clients are okay, whether we don't know whether our employees are okay. And when you are in this shaky ground, like how can you be consistent or how can you be um, sort of how you can hold on to the purpose when a lot of things you are pretty much like a, a someone in dark trying to trying to figure out where should I walk? Right. So, again, it comes back to that focus. Now is the time to refocus because truthfully, your plan, your three year strategic plan, for example, may be irrelevant today. So what I'm emphasizing with my clients is that this is the time to refocus and realign refocus with the changing market, the changing reality, what is it we need to accomplish, and then realign your environment, your people, your culture to make sure you achieve that. So, you know, that consistency of, of purpose and consistency of alignment is not more important now than ever. We just have to make sure it's the right focus given the changing reality. Interesting. And so um, that that song. And how is how is this applicable to say a startup 
or, or a very small organization how would because again so we are we are almost like a jungle gem we do things every day we just every day put up put out our daily fights and daily fires how do you um, convey this message of consistency or why would they even listen to something like consistency when they know life is radically different every day for them right and the one of the traps for smaller companies and startups now is because you know they're they're just trying to keep the plate spinning just trying to keep things going that they lose sight of what's going on in the marketplace. They become too internally focused. So the first thing in terms of that right focus, make sure you're tapping into the marketplace. Let me give you an example. There's an Irish company, Flying Elephant Productions. They build props and stages for events. Well, you can imagine once COVID struck, their business was decimated. And basically mm -hmm. all their contracts were lost within a period of two weeks, okay? So they could have been very consistent at building, you know, props and, and stages, but not very helpful. So go back to the market. Now, what happened in their case is they got a phone call from somebody saying, hey, you know, I've got to work out of home now. I don't have a desk. Could you guys build me a desk? Bing, the light bulb went on. This is a company that has the capabilities of building things very quickly out of wood. This is a company that has a supply of lumber. The market needs desks. Well, what happened is they built the desk. One turned into two, two turned into three, and within a month, they had built and sold 2,000 desks. Mm. So they had to refocus given the new reality. But once they refocused, they had to realign their processes, their people, their systems, all to be very consistent with that new focus. So again, ruthless consistency now more than ever is critical. If you're refocusing your business, you had better make sure that everything you're doing is realigned with that new focus. Interesting. And and from from your vantage point, what are so this is one of the role model companies. What are some of the other examples you can quote on some some role model companies that fits in this idea of being ruthlessly consistent and like with the, with the message of focus and purpose? Like, what are some of those organizations? Right. Well, what, what comes to mind is, is Amazon, which is a big company here. But when you think of Amazon strategically, early on, their goal was not to make as much money as, pro as possible. And you think, well, business, aren't you trying to maximize profits? No. Their goal was to really maximize reach, to become the de facto place where people would buy stuff online. So what did that mean? It mean, meant having access to a wide range of products, a very, very wide range of products, having reliable distribution and having rock bottom pricing. Many, for many years, you may know this, for many years, Amazon was not profitable or at mm -hmm. best marginally profitable mar you know, for many years. However, once they achieved the strategic goal of becoming the de facto place to go, once they monetized their model by introducing Amazon Prime, then they became reliably profitable and you know, obviously significantly profitable. So all to say that, you know, in, as an example of being consistent with that sense of purpose, they weren't distracted by maximizing profits in the short term because they had a longer term goal, a bigger picture goal of what they wanted to achieve. And their decisions were ruthlessly consistent with achieving that goal. Interesting. And, and this idea of, um, working on the purpose and focus and, and being sort of uh, um, ruthlessly consistent on, on sort of building that is there. So if I am say running towards the cliff, 
okay so uh, things are good it's 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 growing rapidly how is this strategy help me address that or or help me save myself if i am sort of putting something uh, i'm going somewhere in 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 a, in a wrong direction how would this this strategy help so i'm not sure i understand you're saying if things are going well at the moment but you've got the if, wrong strategy right so if 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 suppose my wrong strategy is leading to right results how would right. this like what do you say right so as part of our strategic management process it starts with assessment and we all know that you can get the right results for the wrong reasons or the wrong results for the right reasons hmm. and one of the the traps we ha- fall into is we tend to attribute good results to things we've done and we attribute bad results to things external to us and for my background in psychology the psychology of human performance those are called cognitive biases you know hmm. in, psychologically we take credit for the good stuff and we find excuses or reasons for the bad stuff right hmm. so first i want to educate people that that is a trap and are we successful because of what we're doing or in spite of what we're doing i want to cultivate a productive paranoia i want to cultivate attention i want to you know make sure we're attacking our assumptions and i also want to let people know that what made us successful in the past could destroy us in the future and there are a lot of examples of that you know again there's uh, you know there's blackberry there's blockbuster we talked about ringling brothers barnum and bailey circus right there are a lot mm-hmm. of companies and were very successful that thought they had it figured out but got complacent and when you get complacent you become vulnerable when you become vulnerable that's when you get exposed that's when you get overtaken interesting and and when you were writing this book like what was the what was the ideal um reader that you envisioned uh who would who would really um make uh, actually get make use of this book I, i there are a number of segments but there are two groups in particular i thought would be particularly relevant for one is leaders who are committed truly committed leaders who maybe they find their strategic plans are going off the rails their change initiatives are floundering or they're just tired of chronic underperformance so they're committed and they've got they want to get things right the second group are for aspiring leaders these are emerging leaders right who are ambitious who are energetic they want to be successful and they're committed to their own development and this will really accelerate their development by giving them you know model methods processes practices to help them as they become you know become leaders of organizations uh be successful so it was really those two segments I would expect however Michelle anyone who's involved in you know uh, executing strategy uh, implementing change uh, business school profs uh, who have classes you know for uh, for their their students I think you know those groups could also benefit from this book Interesting so in in your practice uh, when you're preaching and you're actually executing these strategies that this book suggest and when say a company reach out to you uh, to help like what are some of some of the uh, what, what is that stage when typically companies said okay i should look for basically this refocus like what is the litmus test you can give to a leader saying okay if you are hitting that these four or five indicators that means you should call us or you should read the right. book or something <laughs> right yeah. well i can tell you historically the number one driver the number one thing that causes people to call uh, call us is a psychographic factor not a demographic factor and the psychographic factor is pain pain they are tired 
They're sick and tired of these strategic plans that, like I say, go off the rails, these change initiatives that are floundering, chronic underperformance. I'm tired of it. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. I'm going to hire some expertise to help us navigate through this. I am done. When they reach that tipping point and they find out about us, that's typically when, you know, when an engagement starts. So, you know, the vast majority of cases, it's pain that drives them. The minority of cases, it's ambition. It's as I described that aspiring leader. Maybe it's a first-time CEO. Maybe she wants to, you know, be successful, is just taking the role, not sure, you know, how she's going to do it. Maybe it's a, uh, a CEO first time in a, or into a new company. So those aspiring leaders also, they will often decide, I want some help along the way here. I want to access some extra expertise. So that's when they will reach out to us as well. Interesting. Um, fascinating. So thank you for walking us through the book. Now, I think we'll, we'll spend a few minutes on your personal journey. And we ask all of our guests to talk about, say, um, some of the ingredients that has helped help them become what they what they are today. So what are some of the qualities that you you sort of tag on to your success saying this, these qualities really helped me become what I have become? What would those qualities be if you can share? Right. Well, thank, yeah, that's a, a good question. You know, the, what comes to mind is when I was playing sports in university, I played, you know, college football, I was not an exceptional athlete. I was not an exceptional player. So I had to work very hard. And that ethic of having to work hard and apply myself, uh, I think is, you know, is, has benefited me greatly. And truthfully, now when we with our client companies, we look at hiring people and somebody has an athletic background, that's good. But I want to know, were they a natural or were they a worker? Mm. Often the naturals got by on just natural ability. They didn't develop good work habits. But if somebody's a worker, an overachiever, that often speaks well to them. So learning to work hard, uh, I have to give my parents credit, frankly, in that, you know, my credit, my parents were typical immigrant story. They came from modern day Croatia. Neither of them graduated from high school, but both of them emphasized the importance of hard work, education, that if you apply yourself, you can achieve whatever you want to achieve. So that, you know, that mindset was instilled from a young age with my parents. Again, I think it's a fairly common immigrant story. So that was really impactful. And then I have benefited just from some, you know, working with some very good people. And if there's one thing I'd implore people early in their careers, work with good organizations, work with good people, and you will learn a lot. They will help to cultivate you. It will just accelerate your development immeasurably. So, you know, having the opportunity to work with good organizations and good people. When I worked with the Atlanta Consulting Group, I managed their consulting division. When I first started with them, they were one of the pioneers in the field of trust-based leadership recognizing how cultivating trust and that relationship was vital to leadership. So having the benefit to work with some good people as well uh, has made a difference. So I think those are some of the key things, you know, the work ethic, the uh, my education pointed me in that right direction, the, um, you know, from the playing and coaching, um, all of that, I think were all of those things I think were critical. Awesome. And th thank you for walking us through, through that. that. That's exceptional. So we ask, we ask all of our guests to even talk about some of their favorite books that they have read that that really have influenced them or that they're currently reading? Like what would be your some of the books that, that you want to share with our listeners and viewers? Well, that's a great question. Yeah, and I do have some favorites. And if you go back to, you know, from a while back, there was a book called The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. 
which was really a classic book for, you know, how entrepreneurs transcend that kind of startup phase to become a mid-market company. A very good book, still relevant today. So The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. A little known book called Why Employees Don't Do What They're Supposed to and What to Do About It by Ferdinand Furniz. Uh, that was a great book on really starting to understand how you create alignment with your people. Uh, the book Over Your Shoulder, Leading Change by Cotter is one I've uh, referred to many times as well. That's one I, I like. And then Blue Ocean Strategy. Mm. I really like the work that was done in Blue Ocean Strategy. And I think that does a very good job of capturing, you know, innovation, creating the right environment, value innovation uh, with some very good and diverse examples. I think that's uh, an essential read as well. Awesome. I think this is all, all, all great, um, great, great reads. And thank you for sharing that. So now at the, as, a, as a last question, we ask all of our guests to, uh, to talk about. So if you want our listeners and viewers to take away something from that conversation, like what would that be? What would be your parting thought to our listeners and viewers? The, the parting thought would be this. Stand in front of a mirror and ask yourself, how committed am I to success? There's no right or wrong answer. Just be very honest with yourself. How committed am I? How committed have I been? And then answering that question, then what do I intend to do? And if you're a committed leader, you know, and you're truly committed to success and you need, you know, you want some, you know, some help, some resources to help along the way, then I think Ruthless Consistency is a book that can be a big help to you. So that's really the question. Be honest with yourself as a leader. How committed have I been? How committed am I to success? Awesome. So with that, uh, thank you so much, Michael, for, for spending your, uh, your precious time with us, educating us. And um, so to our listeners and viewers, we, we also put the link on, of the book uh, on the description that they can find. Uh, and as you said, they can also read about your blogs on makingstrategyhappen.com. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and um, they can read it, uh, your work there as well. Do you have any Twitter handle or anything that uh, they, can, they can find you? Do I have what? Sorry? Do you have a tw Twitter or something as well? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Michael, just Michael Canick. Yeah. Okay. For LinkedIn and Twitter, Michael Canick, C-A-N-I-C. Yeah. Feel free to reach out on both. Follow me on both. As you said, there's a, a blog, lots of blogs and resources on our website. Uh, you can also order the book off the website. So it's all available at makingstrategyhappen.com. Thank you with that. Thank you so much, Mike, Michael, and uh, wish you nothing but success in your book. And we wish to have you back anytime in the future talking about maybe the sequel to this book or, or the success from this book. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks, Vishal. Thanks. Um, uh, I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick. I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here. Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it. Then I go into the booth feeling nervous. Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this. Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on a certain...